This week, I had a conversation with an actual clinical doctor from the United Kingdom. His company, Medical Chain, is trying to build a platform to facilitate patient-to-provider interactions using blockchain technology. Dr. Abdullah Al-Bayati is very passionate about the potential to improve the healthcare experience for both the patient and the provider, not just in the UK, but also on a global scale. This podcast is meant to reach a global audience because most healthcare trust and security problems aren't specific to one or few regions, but actually affect the lives of everyone around the world. As a doctor, he's personally faced challenges accessing crucial medical information from patients because of the traditional siloed approach to medical records. We touch upon the regulatory environment, blockchain adoption, and medical chain's new telemedicine service, myclinic.com. All right, let's do this. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. And today I have with me Dr. Abdullah El-Bayati. He's the CEO and co-founder at Medical Chain. What Medical Chain is trying to build, from my perspective at least, is a electronic health record system, but for the consumer, for the person. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. And the other key factor here is that it is on the blockchain, of course. So yeah, can you please introduce yourself and tell me a little bit more about you know, what inspired you to do this? Yeah, so um, thank you very much for having me on your show, Ray. Uh, so yes, my name is Abdullah Abiyati. So I am a doctor, a clinical doctor. I work in the United Kingdom in the NHS, our National Health Service. And I created the company Medical Chain. Um, and essentially, as, as you say, Ray, the Medical Chain is a platform for the storage and utilization of electronic health records. Uh, essentially, what bothered me during my um time as a doctor and why I've, I've tried to make this solution is the lack of sharing of information for between clinicians and especially for patients themselves so i mean i could give you countless examples but a very simple one that most people can relate to is a patient will come to my clinic and they will say to me oh doctor um i need uh, blood test results that I, I had last week in the hospital and I'll tell them, I'm sorry, in my, on my computer, in the login that I have, I can't see what your blood test results are. And I've got here a patient in front of me who is keen for me to know that information, happy to share that information with me. That information exists somewhere in the ether, but I don't have access to it. And that's to the detriment of our consultation, because if I knew that result, it might make a different decision. And if I don't know the result, then I'm going to repeat the test unnecessarily, because maybe I do need to know that information. Likewise, if you want to escalate the seriousness of, of these kind of lack of sharing information, I might have a patient who's quite unwell, they need certain antibiotics, and before I prescribe any kind of medication, I always ask my patients, are you allergic to anything? Now, if the patient comes back and says, yes, I'm allergic to some kind of antibiotic, the hospital know what it is, but I don't know its name, 
Now, I think that's quite reasonable. That's quite fair because why would the patient be an expert in medicine or health? Why should they know all our idioms and all of our terms? If I have a plumber, I don't expect the plumber to, to expect that I know all the tools and all the gadgets he's using. I just expect mm-hmm. him to fix the job. And that's what you'd expect of your doctor as well. So that's when it becomes a bit more dangerous where I'm now guessing what they're allergic to possibly and we'll just give it a go. So we're trying to have a platform where the the patient is able to access their records and share their records with whoever they like. Now, in terms of electronic health record, we don't want to become another silo. So in the US, you've got uh, Epic, Epic, you've got Cerna, for example. In the UK, we've got big ones called E. And we don't want to be another one. If anything, we want to be an umbrella encompassing all of these so that wherever the patient goes to any appointment, they have access to their health data, whether it was collected in their family doctors, in their hospital, on holiday. They have all their records, and that will lead to a, a better consultation for them. So do you imagine that these EHRs right now, like Epic and Cerner, are you going to be able to interoperate with them? Are you going to work with them, or is it going to be, is Medical Chain going to be um, its own health record system? No, I think I think for this to work, we have to work with them, um, and that's for a multitude of reasons. Uh, number one, because if you go up to any doctor or any clinic or any hospital facility and try telling the staff you're going to be using a brand new software you've not been trained on, nobody's going to like the idea right. of that. People don't like change. Number two, hospitals and clinics already have set contracts with these um, software providers, so you can't just step in there and say, we're taking over now, thank you very much. And number three, we are not as robust as they are. You know, these are well-established companies that have been around for a very long time, and we're a startup that's just started. The As you allude to, the idea is that we can set up APIs between our platform, our system, and then the cells. So, for example, in, in the UK, uh, we are about to run a pilot in July uh, in a medical practice called the Groves Medical Practice, which is a large family doctor's clinics spread over four sites. They have 30,000 patients and 27 doctors, and they use the system called EMIS. So we have established a link with EMIS so that all of the patient records that are at that kind of clinic that use that kind of system can be seen and added to the medical chain platform. And EMIS is used not just by this practice, it's used across the country. So the idea is trying to approach these big stakeholders as time goes on and trying to get them to have a link established with our system. So if you have a medical chain account, medical chain account, I hope in future will have EMIS, System One, Epic, Cerner. We have connections to all these other electronic health record services so that wherever the patient goes, they can feel confident that they have access to their records, whichever system or whichever clinic they've hmm. entered in that time. So I wonder, you know, us being in the United States, what's how do you find the difference between the regulatory agencies and um you know, United Kingdom versus here in the, the States, what's your experience been like and has there been one that's easier to work with or are they both uh, kind of challenging in their own way? No, um, in my experience, the US has been very uh, forthcoming. Uh, they've been very helpful and we hopefully will will have um, some good news to announce in the very near future about establishing a partnership or a link with, with a very well-established uh, healthcare uh, provider in, in the US. So the US have been very, very easy to come by. And I think that's because you have quite a private healthcare. So the idea is when you are talking to somebody, a decision maker, that person can say yes or no. And that's the end of the, the deal. The issue we have in the United Kingdom in the NHS is such a huge system and it moves at a glacial speed. And there are so many 
um, people in management that you never know who you're talking to, whether they're the right person or not, whether they can make a decision or not. And even though we're a national health service, we are also broken up into areas of the countries, into certain trusts, which govern a number of local hospitals, and then into a clinical commissioning group, which governs a certain area of a city. So it can be quite hard to establish with who am I getting the permission off? Who's going to okay this project? Um, that's been the challenge. I suppose the easiest place that we've been on our tour has been the Far East. So mm. this is Japan and China. The levels of bureaucracy are not the same as in our Western countries. They are ready to go. They're keen to go. They wanted medical chain yesterday, if it was possible. The issue for us is we have to run our pilot. We have to do things in, in the correct order before we start translating everything into their languages and then find all the bugs and all the mistakes. So hopefully as soon as we finish the UK pilot, uh, we'll be ready to, to go to those countries, the US and the Far East as well. What's your timeline like right now for uh, the UK pilot? So July will be the UK pilot starting. We have given it an estimate of three to six months uh, of how long we want to run the pilot. It really depends on what happens during the pilot. If we're gathering more data when i mean data i mean data about our own system mm -hmm. uh, then maybe we'd run it for longer if there's more partnerships we establish so for example there's civic uh, which deals with uh, identifiable information if there's other partnerships that we want to try in, in our in our sandbox environment of this pilot then we might extend that pilot as well but i think once we're confident and ready then then we can move on to uh, phase two which would be in early 2019 i see how confident are you in the current blockchain market or rather the environment at this point in time? As in blockchain as a technology so as, or cryptocurrency? I think let's two questions. Let's do both of them. I'm curious about your opinion for both. In terms of cryptocurrency, how confident are you in Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example, uh, to be a successful tool or token to use as a way to transact value and then in terms of blockchain because many people especially in the healthcare field believe that you know you really don't necessarily need a blockchain to store a bunch of your records it might be very inefficient for example uh, to actually retrieve any kind of information from a blockchain because it does cost uh, more at this moment in time that's kind of what i'm alluding to what do you think about that yeah so i think the to take your first question about cryptocurrencies in general and, and the two big established uh, dominating ones being Bitcoin and Ethereum, I'm confident. Uh, so I hold cryptocurrency myself. Uh, I've not sold my cryptocurrency because I think this is an emerging market. And if you look at any emerging market, it's very unstable as it has been. And, you know, we went through that crazy period where, where Bitcoin was nearly $20,000 and whatnot. Um, and that's because loads of people jumping onto the bandwagon without fully understanding the potential of this or how it can be used. Um, I think it will gather pace again. And I think that's because bigger uh, establishments or industries are going to start accepting and trading in cryptocurrencies. And I think it's the responsibility of blockchain companies such as mine to facilitate that and to explain that to the general public. So again, coming back to our pilot, the patients, when they're using our service, they'll be able to pay in med tokens, Ethereum, Bitcoin, uh, because we want to encourage people and show people that this is this is a way forward that you can establish a wallet and, and, and pay finances online 
internationally. So the idea is if I'm doing a consultation with an American doctor, it's too much of a hassle for me to send dollars from here to there and three days for the transaction to go through and all the fees that happen. If I could send that doctor a Bitcoin, that doctor's happy to receive a Bitcoin, then, then that's, that's an improvement. Coming back to blockchain, I completely agree with the sentiments and I've heard it many times at different uh, conferences. I have been to many blockchain events internationally and you do sometimes listen to ideas and you think there's no need for blockchain in this whatever uh, or forget blockchain. I think blockchain can be used in most things, but you think there's no need for a token in this uh, system, whatever. And people are trying to just, you know, chuck a token on the end of anything in order to justify raising funds. I think it's a little bit different in our case um, and, and why we can justify it. So the first thing to say is everything we've done has been above board. So we worked with KPMG uh, to get a FINMA ruling to establish that we're a utility token. Our utility is very clear in the sense that for you, for the user to hold and view their own medical records, that's completely for free. And it's a service we'll always uh, offer for free and subsidize ourselves because I think that's that sharing of information for the patient can be the difference between life and death and it's not fair to hold them back from that the bit where the utility comes in is where the patient wants to conduct a telehealth telemedicine consultation say like we're doing now mm -hmm. and they want to share their records online with the doctor they've never met before in a different country when they pay that doctor for their services we will take a small cut of that and that utility is going to be paid for in med tokens and likewise going forwards in 2019 with our health data marketplace the idea is that now you have an individual who's holding their own medical records, a very valuable data set. We want them to benefit from it. So if a pharmaceutical or research company approaches that individual and says, we would like access to your health data for a time limited basis of, say, a week, we're going to reward you in med tokens because you've granted us access to that information. So we've established why, why we have the currency then and the utility because we're going to be international and it will speed things up and, and, and help. The blockchain element, I agree with you again. If you are trying to put huge masses of data, such as a CT scan or an MRI scan, which is gigabytes of information onto the blockchain, this is not going to work. It's not efficient, and it would be very, very difficult to establish this, this kind of system as well. The way that ours works is we are just pointing the pointers uh, to that information on the blockchain network. So the idea is that all of these nodes, which are spread internationally, will hold these pointers. And these pointers of these hashes are going to point to where the actual raw data is stored, be it in the clinic or in the hospital. So you're a, a US citizen, you've traveled to the UK, you're seeing me about a uh, broken wrist, and I can say, well, I can see something on this x-ray that looks funny on, to do with your radius, which is the bone in your wrist. Uh, do you, have you ever had one before? And you go, yeah, I can just pull it out. That's where my x-ray was two years ago from the States. And I go, oh, I can see that funny thing as well. That's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. It doesn't look like it's changed in two years. Now, to do that, it's similar to using your credit card. If you come for holidays here in the UK, your money is still in the US. You've not transferred things across, but you can use your card in an ATM machine or you can use it in a restaurant. And it's the same thing with the pointers of the hash, hashes uh, to break it down into simple terms for, for, for people. So the actual data is not, you know, gigabytes and terabytes is going to be on the blockchain. It's very small bytes and kilobyte files, which are pointers and hashes which are going to be distributed across the network on this distributed ledger. So we know somebody's not corrected the pointer or the hash mm. or corrected trying to get to that information. So I'm curious about the actual data and where that sits and how, you know, I understand that each pointer can be hashed and you'll be able to, you know, connect to the right place and give 
you know, the right permissions to the right people for the right amount of time. Um, and from what I understand, you'll have sort of these uh, guardians of the data, different types of nodes that are special nodes that nonprofit organizations or universities and foundations or yes. hospital trusts. I find that to be very interesting and, you know, frankly, very important because otherwise, if you have, you know, for-profit companies that are strictly trying to, um, you know, generate profit for their shareholders, it becomes, you know, could be a conflict of interest potentially. So, Certainly. Yeah. You want I mean, to talk a little had... bit about how your conversations have been around, you know, the those guardians of data? Yeah, so so when we talk about the guardians of data, talking about hospitals, universities and non-for-profit organizations, these are three entities which already manage health data, as in they're already responsible for managing this and have done a good job up until now. They could do a better job with better tools and better security, and I think that's what the blockchain offers. Now, we've been approached by several very large pharmaceutical companies which have asked us if we would like them to be part of the network or part of the node. In theory, it's not a problem. Sure, you know, you're also a respectable entity and you deal with health data and you're involved in research, so you'd want to be as close to the consumer or the user as possible. The issue with that on our scale is we can't have our whole network is based on three guardians, three nodes, which are all pharmaceutical companies, which... If anybody wanted to levy it against us and say, look, these guys are all in bed together and they've all, you know, access people's records and, and, and modified records without you knowing, it, 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 we'd be in a very difficult position to try and defend ourselves. So the, for the time being, we're accepting just hospitals, universities and non-for-profit organizations, people that already hold medical records. And I think in time, if you get to 10 nodes, 100 nodes, 1,000 nodes, then the... Uh, liability of letting other organizations such as a pharmaceutical or a research company being involved would be less and less because they, they cannot surmount the rest of the nodes. They cannot, you know, be in cahoots with the other 999 nodes to, to, to edit that information. So that's, that's why we're restricting it to those for the time being. And then as we grow and we become bigger, then we would open it up to others to be guardians, if you will. So how are these guardians incentivized to become part of the network what's their purpose or what not rather what's how do they get in why should they get in yeah so essentially it's a a, a progress or it's something that's going to change over time so in the beginning right now it's a case of us subsidizing or or encouraging them to be part of this change which is going to help their their patients so these hospitals or universities for example already have their own cohort of patients and if they're keen for their patients to come onto our network, then we will tell them that's fine, but you need to uh, maintain your node as well to be part of this network. The idea is that I envisage in time as we go forward, these uh, different nodes are going to realize that the, the masses of their users are dependent on medical chain and therefore, therefore the burden on us is going to lessen and that burden is going to be passed back onto them. So if you imagine it's like when you have a, a software and you are trying to sell the license to somebody, you normally give them a 12 month free subscription and you tell them, look after the 12 months, if you're happy with the service, you need to pay for this service yourself. And I envisage it will be the same thing with the nodes. You know, to be part of the network, you've got all these patients who have registered, we'll help you do it for the first 12 months because obviously you need to budget for things. If you think it's been beneficial for your clinicians and your patients, you can pay to be uh, on this network still to continue to, to support the robustness of it and the level of security by being part of it rather than being on the outside. 
I see. So it's not like they are mining for rewards by running no. the nodes or anything like that. I see. So no. there's a service that they would get from you guys and they would pay by subscription uh, yes. some sort of fee. I understand that better now. Okay. So you've worked with the NHS uh, as a doctor. And how instrumental has that been in applying or in explaining what you're doing to um, prospective investors, prospective users? Oh, massive. Absolutely massive. massive. I think I think you know the the strength of our project, and one thing whenever we are compared with other healthcare uh, blockchain companies, if you will, it's. I don't think if you're not inside the problem, you don't know what's going on. So I I still work as a doctor. So I I had a clinic on Thursday, for example, and I still see patients because I think if you don't understand the problem, then you're not going to be able to fix it. And the difference I've made is, for example, I'll be talking to to a, a group of investors, if you want to call them that, or, or, or audience members, and they'll say, but, you know, we've got a social security number, or in the UK, we've got something called an NHS number. Uh, can't you see all my records based on that? You go on your computer, you type in NHS number, and all the records come down. I've explained to them, no, it's, you know, the, the NHS number, a social security number, these are, these are dead numbers. These are there just to identify you as an individual. So I've got two John Smiths. They've got exactly the same date of birth. The only thing that's going to differentiate them is their social security number or the NHS number. This is not a number in a huge cloud or database which we can access. All of your information is getting pumped back into the central system. So I think by being a doctor and explaining to them the difficulties I've seen, then people understand it a bit more. And I think with all of the, again, coming back to, you know, one of the answers I gave earlier where people are just trying to create uh, tokens or create blockchain solutions, if you can't be clear about what the pain point is, then you can't be clear about what you're trying to solve. And it's easy for me to say access to health records. And maybe that doesn't mean much for you or doesn't mean much for me because we might be young and healthy. But when you're talking about somebody who had an operation scheduled for 12 months and they have taken time off work and all their relatives have come with them to the day of surgery because they're all very anxious and this individual is very scared and this is a true story. I, as the surgeon, will go up to the patient. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, Mr. Smith. Um, we can't find your medical records. I know what operation you need. The anaesthetist knows what we're doing. But unless we have the document in front of us, when we do our sign off and our checklist before we start the operation, we can't go ahead with this operation. And it's involved me literally going to the secretary's room, climbing through mountains of notes, trying to find a needle in a haystack for this poor individual's operation to go ahead. And sometimes it happens. And sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you can imagine how much emotional and financial turmoil that's caused the family because we lost the records. You know, it's, it's ludicrous. And I think with all of these uh, kind of solutions you, you see today in blockchain, you really have to bring it back to the human element of what does this mean? It's easy for me to say access to health records. Right. But what does that actually mean to people that have, have suffered when their health records have got lost? Yeah, it sounds like a real nightmare for that person. And it's weird because if you think about all the other industries, that have benefited from new technology, not not just specifically blockchain, but just general uh, user interfaces of being able for me to get into a car with a stranger and travel somewhere very easily, ordering food, all these things, banking, very easy for the user. But healthcare, I it takes me you know days to find my vaccination records, and it's just quite a hassle. So, 
I mean, and, and, and that's the thing, you know, people have said to me, you know, but what does this mean for young and healthy people? They don't have medical records. And, and you know, you just said it. Well, we all have vaccination records. Right. You know, we, we all have some kind of health data, however minimalist it is. And that will affect you when you're going for an employment and they want to know what your immunizations records are or you're traveling abroad for a visa and certain countries will ask, well, what's your immunization status? And, you know, we have mobile phones that have our emails, photos, uh, music has your banking details on it. I can access my bank and transfer money across the world, you know, just by unlocking it with my finger. I can't look at my own medical records, you know, and that's probably the most important thing I need access to in case I'm ever unwell that I can share that with somebody here or abroad. So <laughs> yes, healthcare unfortunately is always, in my experience, lagging behind the rest of the industry, such as fintech. They're always ahead with whatever technology comes out. And I think it's really time to push us forwards. And and again, that's why I think it's important to build this kind of technology on blockchain rather than trying to build this kind of system on something that might become redundant in another 10 or 20 years. We should build it on something going forwards, which is going to keep up with everything else. Right. And if you try to imagine what will happen in the next 10 or 20 years, you're going to see lots of new technologies come out that will, in my opinion, have to rely on some sort of blockchain uh, platform or network in order to be successful. I'm thinking about you know, potentially artificial intelligence and IoT, you know, devices. Just IoT could be, I don't think it can work without blockchain, in my opinion, but, you know, that's something. What do you think about? Yeah, I think I, I think that's the way that the, the technology or the way that the world is moving forwards is that we have to integrate systems and benefit uh, from systems. So I just yesterday... Um, I was at a company in London who have been doing fantastic work with trying to uh, establish, if you will, a virtual reality of when you're performing surgery. So they're a company called Touch Surgery, uh, which is actually very well established in the States. They're, they're in quite a few hospitals there and quite a few residency programs. And the founder was explaining to me how they are moving forwards with their technology to incorporate their technology with AI and their technology with live operations so rather than just relying on anatomy and a very nice ipad whilst the surgeon is operating they'll have like a guide in front of them showing them this is the next bit of the procedure look out for this organ or for this uh, blood vessel for example and i think that's what's going to happen is we all have these great ideas pepper potted around but we're going to eventually start overlapping with each other and it's going to be the, to the benefit of the users and we as a people, I think it's our responsibility to use the technology in a correct fashion. Somebody could give you all the technology in the world. If you don't know how to use it or use it responsibly, it's wasted and, and we'll lose that, that, that privilege. So for example, when I'm talking about medical chain and health records, there's no point in doing this if it doesn't benefit that individual's life. If they're still turning up to A&E five times a week or accident emergency or the ER five times a week, if they're still abusing drugs or alcohol, if they're still eating unhealthily and not exercising, my system or any health system is not going to fix that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pass that responsibility back onto the user because prevention is better than cure. And some of my patients justifiably have said, look, I didn't really understand everything you said, or I didn't really know how high my blood pressure was. And I can say, well, now you've got your medical chain dashboard. Now your, for example, wearable device is that information is being fed into your dashboard. You can see what your blood pressure was. You can see how your cholesterol has gone up. You can see how your sugar levels are not controlled. You need to take responsibility for yourself. 
follow the advice, which is the clinic letter, which is now saved in your dashboard. So you're no longer, these are conversations we're having between ourselves and the patient can't access that information. They can look at their own clinic letter, which summarizes our, our consultation and go, actually, yes, the doctor did say I should cut down on my salt and maybe exercise a bit more. And that's, I think, the ultimate uh, direction that all of these technologies are going in is you have to help people with technology, but if they don't take responsibility for themselves, it, it's all pointless. Right. No, I, t I totally agree with you. And now I'm thinking about who would be the first adopters of medical chain, for example. I know in general, you know, you're not going to have everyone coming on all at the same time. Would it be like millennials? I don't see older people immediately, you know, creating a private key and starting their own record. But mm. what have you seen? I mean, maybe it's a little bit different here. So I'm trying to use my parents as an example. And my parents are not tech savvy at all, but they're both, say, 65. They've both got smartphones. They both know how to log into their emails. They both know how to, you know, use the fingerprint sensor to get into their banking. And I think this kind of idea that the older gener generation are less equipped to deal with new technologies, I think is becoming less and less. I mean, you imagine you and me in the next 30, 40 years, you know, we'll know how to do things because we've been using laptops and, and everything. And you even look at the very young generation, three to five-year-olds, they're all sat there on iPads, swiping, skip the advert. You know, even the three-year-old knows how to skip the advert these days. Um, and, and it's actually a very um, funny debate I actually had with one of the um, blockchain experts we have here in the UK. We were talking about how even children understand the concepts of tokens or cryptocurrency better than adults. Mm -hmm. And if you think about kind of mobile video games where you deal in coins and certain coins let you continue playing the game or certain coins let you buy a new house, even the child will turn around to their parents and say, mom, dad, I need $5 to top up the amount of coins I've got. Because if I don't have coins, I can't play the game. And that's what cryptocurrency is, basically. Well, it's a little different, right? I would think those <laughs> tokens or those coins that you're getting in that game, it's coming from a centralized you know, company who's just delivering as many coins as people would buy at a specific price. So there's no like economy. Oh, I guess there is an economy, but it's not necessarily uh, like a distributed Definitely not the not the moral or the ethical level that we appreciate it at. But I think yeah. if you go back to the older generation, and I try explaining to my parents, you give me five pounds or five dollars, and I'll buy you these tokens. They're like, right. why do I need tokens? I just what's wrong with pounds and dollars? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, that's a, that's a, that's another discussion. But to answer your question, to be more frank, it's open to everybody, uh, and we try to make it as easy as possible, and we don't bog. Uh, users down with the information so we have a line saying we, are, we use blockchain technology but we don't get too technical or too detailed if anybody wants to read that stuff that information is all freely available and they can you know to their heart's content read about how we do things but it's similar how do they do that where do they go so it's all going to be on part of our leaflets so when we're distributing this to the users in july uh, when they're part of our pilot they're going to be able to to click understand more about blockchain and then it'll be our description of what's happening to their data. It's like when I was operating surgery, when I, when I was operating as a surgeon before, sorry, I wouldn't go into great depth with my patient about this is the name of the nerve I'm avoiding, this is the name of the blood vessel, and this is the technique I'm going to use at 20 minutes. I just say to the patient, hopefully everything goes well. There's potential risks and complications. I could cause bleeding, and I could sever the nerve, and I could cause uh, infection. That's it. If the patient wants to know more and ask me, what's the name of the nerve you might sever and what's this? Okay, we can talk about it more. But to get their consent, it doesn't need to be that, to that level of understanding. And it's the same with using our service. As far as they're concerned, 
they're just logging into a normal application. They don't realize the engine and everything else that's powering it in the background. This week's News Corner highlights the partnership between Medical Chain and Groves Medical Group, which encompasses the largest private general practitioner center in the UK. And a general practitioner is basically the U.S. equivalent of a PCP, or a primary care provider. And they've been leading their approach to patient-centered care for over 35 years. It consists of four general practitioner practices supporting over 30,000 registered patients and 1,000 private patient families. The pilot is the first application for Medical Chain's platform. The pilot, which commences in July 2018, will allow Medical Chain to gather feedback from doctors and patients to refine its platform and continue development ahead of its global launch. Grove's registered patients will be able to create a free wallet which will hold and manage access to their health records. Video consultations will also be available to patients, offering the flexibility to see their doctor at a time and place suited to their needs. The platform will then give patients the option to pay for services using cryptocurrency, with users being incentivized to pay for telemedicine services with Medical Chain's med tokens. And now back to the show with CEO of Medical Chain, Dr. Abdullah Albayati. Speaking of consent, actually, so what if I have a Medical Chain account, right? I have a private key and I have access to my records and all of a sudden, um, you know, for some reason, I pass out in the middle of the street and no one knows who I am or anything about medical records. Uh, someone calls 911 and the ambulance comes, picks me up, but they don't know who I am. I don't have my ID on me. How is medical chain going to help in that case? Or how could they? Yeah, ex- exactly. So I think, I think how could they is, is, is the correct way of, of, of phrasing it. Because if there was no medical chain, then there would definitely be no solution to that scenario. And you'd just be unfortunate to not have any identity on you. Medical chain actually have a solution for this. So it's our uh, bracelet which is going to be one of our wearable devices, which we have in a prototype version at the moment. It doesn't necessarily be ha- have to be our bracelets, so we're hoping to integrate this into smart watches, such as uh, Apple watches, or even into your mobile device using the NFC, the Near Field Communications. But the idea is that if you're ever in a situation where you are unable to give your consent because you're unconscious, for example, you're not in a position to do that, then the clinician will be able to touch, tap, your wearable device or your smartwatch or your smartphone in order to get access to your health data that you have already agreed to doing whilst you were conscious. So what I mean by this is you have your medical chain account and it says, these are my medical problems, these are my allergies, this is my next of kin. When you're setting your wearable device, you say in the case of an emergency and somebody wants to access this data, they can only see my allergies and my next of kin so you can choose what you're happy to share in that emergency situation now even in that emergency situation it's not a case of somebody just coming up and tapping your wearable device and saying okay you know i've I've got into their records because anybody down the street could do that to you as well and and, and maybe access your data so the idea is it has to be a two-level authenticity or authentication security what i mean by this is for example, in the UK, if we have a patient with mental health problems and I think somebody is schizophrenic and they're about to hurt themselves or hurt somebody else, I can't, as a doctor, tell the police, take him away. 
I have to come and I have to find another doctor who I don't know and say, look, do you agree with my assessment that it's in, the, in their best interests that we're taking this person away? And if we both agree, we've basically overruled their, their rights and the police are going to take them to a place of safety. In the scenario where you're unconscious, we will see that you're wearing this bracelet or we'll check your smartphone or anything you've got on you. And I'll say, look, I want to access his medical records because I think it's critical to know what his blood type is. He's losing blood and we need to give him something now. Do you agree with me? If the other clinician agrees with me, it's all going to be transactions recorded on the blockchain of who accessed your record. But me and that other clinician, two-level security, will unlock the information that you've already deemed you were happy to be seen in an emergency. So they won't see your dermatological history or anything else you don't want them to see. It's just the key information in an emergency. So during that process or that transaction, rather, are there any med tokens being transferred at all? No. Okay. So med tokens, can we talk a little bit about maybe how they are valued and what they can be used for specifically? Sure. So I think the med token is our currency to use our systems. That's an ERC20 token. And the actual medical chain platform is built on the Hyperledger Hyperledger Linux uh, system. So in terms of these transactions and things being recorded, they're not dependent on the cryptocurrency itself. And that's why that gives us the freedom to give a lot of free access and and no tokens need to be passed for, for things to happen. The med token is going to be used for the telemedicine or telehealth consultation. So you want to talk to a doctor somewhere in the world. You can pay that doctor. We'll say you can pay that doctor in fiat, so in dollars or pounds. You can pay them in Ethereum, Bitcoin, or in med tokens. Now, what the user won't see and what the doctor on the receiving end, which will say, I want to receive in dollars, pounds, uh, Ethereum, Bitcoin, or med token, they won't see that this whole process will involve med tokens. So whatever this individual has been happy to pay in, whatever this individual has been happy to receive in, they're actually going to be purchasing tokens and then sending it to the other person where it's going to be converted on the other end. Now, obviously, if they just agree to sticking with med tokens, we can incentivize them because it's going to be cheaper. There's no added costs. So we want these users to pay in med tokens and we want these doctors to receive funds in med tokens. And that way we lose all the added costs of transferring from one kind of currency to another. The other way is we don't just want users paying for services we want users to benefit from their records as well so health records today uh, it was published showed that they are worth 10 times the value of stolen credit card details and that's because if i was to steal your credit card you would cancel the transactions call up the bank and get a new card if i steal your health data i know who you are where you live and who your next of kin is and all your medical problems you can't change who you are that, that'll never change. So, so that's why it's so much more valuable. Because it's more valuable, researchers and pharmaceutical companies are already paying for this information. They already have your data just without your consent or without your explicit consent. They approach hospitals and clinics and they say, we're looking for 40-year-old Asian diabetic men. We're doing research on them. And the hospital says, sure, there's their data anonymized and you give us money for their data. Now, all those patients that their data got used, they never benefited financially from this, nor were they aware that, aware that research was being conducted in their name. So the way that the health data marketplace is going to work, which we'll establish in 2019, is that the researcher or the pharmaceutical company it will be much cheaper for them to go directly to the user and say, we would like to access your data for us to conduct this research. This is going to mean that the patient is now going to get paid for their data, which they should have been all along. This means that the patient is now going to be involved in the research. So now they're 
aware of what research is being conducted on their healthcare, and maybe they've they've got an interest in it because they're happy to try a drug or, or something else, and that'll establish the connection between researchers and patients. It'll also mean that the researcher, when they're conducting their research, no longer will, will it be skewed data. So, for example, there's a lot of data which comes out now, which is really based on American patients or European patients, but that drug is now being given to everybody in Africa and China and everywhere else, which it might not be exactly the same kind of results. So by opening up this kind of international environment where the data can be used by pharmaceutical research companies, they can approach diabetic 50-year-old Asian men worldwide. So they're going to get a greater scope of what all that data is, rather than just targeting one specific clinic that they've got good terms with. Um, so that's, that's essentially one of it. And the last one, uh, not to go on for too long, is talking about health insurance. So right now, people knowingly or unknowingly uh, don't fill out health insurance correctly. They end up paying the wrong premium. And when it comes to payout, the insurance company just turns around and say, I'm sorry, you didn't mention that high blood pressure on your records. And the idea of the medical chain platform is it's going to improve that transparency between users and health insurance companies. And likewise, the users are going to be rewarded for their transparency. And we already have that in the UK. We have that in our driving insurance, so car insurance. If you have a GPS system in your car showing that where you're parking the car, and how sensibly you're driving the car, the car insurance is much cheaper because you've been transparent with them and you've got nothing to hide. And likewise, it's going to be better for the user because we can now establish smart contracts between the user and the health insurance company. So we can agree that if I do my 10,000 steps a day for the next month and I lose one kilogram of weight, which you can do on a smart contract, you'll see on my dashboard, weight dropped by one kilo, activate smart contracts. I'm going to be rewarded for that. So these, these are the fields we're moving into next year. Yeah, I mean, thinking about the idea of smart contracts, wouldn't the insurance, the function of insurance companies sort of almost replaced by smart contracts if you develop them in the right way over time? Would you yeah, agree with that? I mean, the difficulty of removing the insurance company from the equation is, sorry, somebody has to underwrite this risk. And the insurance company is always going to be there to underwrite it because they're the ones that have millions and billions to take that risk on board. The efficiency of making decisions about whether a series of events has occurred or not will be much more streamlined and much more cost effective for the insurance company and for the user. So I imagine in America, you know, you need the health insurance company to pay your bills, your health bills and everything else. But that takes time and forms and weeks, whereas it should just be a smart contract. Did the patient come into hospital? Did the patient receive this information? Did the patient receive this treatment? Has the patient been paying their premium? Yes, yes, yes. Activate smart contract funds are sent, which would be easier for the health insurance company as well because they don't want to be bogged down in cases and paperwork and bureaucracy. They just want to know that they underwrote a risk and on this occasion they've paid out because in many other occasions they don't and that's essentially how they make their profits. I see. Um, I'm thinking back to the private key and how a user would actually hold on to their private keys. And for the audience, you know, basically a private key with medical chain might be, I don't know, 16 phrases or words that paraphrases you can hold on to, keep it in a safe or something. Uh, am I going to need that every time I go to the doctor? How does that work? No, so your access is going to be straightforward in the terms of a username and password like anybody else's normal kind of access. In terms of the private key and public keys, 
those are going to be for you to see the, the specific transactions of who accessed my records, what got added to my records at what time, and so forth. In terms of the private key, coming back to one of the questions you asked earlier about millennials or is it going to be older individuals, we'll always offer the support of trying to help them with their private key and say, if you want, we can help store that for you. These are the pros to doing that. These are the cons to doing that. So you're it's the not, custodian. You'll act as a custodian for the user. Not necessarily. We will give them the option. There's some people, for example, that will be quite tech savvy that will say, no, actually, I can do this myself and I don't need you to do that. And I can do that on cold storage on a USB by myself. Thank you very much. The idea is we're trying to facilitate this accessibility for individuals that might not feel as confident doing that. And again, we have to state very clearly what the pros or cons of getting us to do that on their behalf is. I think a lot of this kind of blockchain conversation or, or decentralization can get a, a lot of people's backs up because they there's some people that you know approach this with a religious level of commitment to this cause. I think what we have to be clear on is that the world or, or the technology we're going through is, is a change, a process over time. And we can't just be black and white and put the line in the sand and say, this is how we're doing things then, this is how we're doing things now. Because you're going to lose a lot of people in that journey and it might not take off if not a lot of people adopt this technology. I think it's responsible of companies such as ours where we are trying to have a leg on each side to help people cross over this bridge. So that's why when it comes to our service, we don't just take med tokens and that's it. If you don't understand how to purchase med tokens and establish a wallet, you can't use our service. Sorry, go away. Because you're going to lose out on a lot of people that want to use that service. They're not very understanding of cryptocurrency or, or trusting of it. So that's why we say med tokens, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and your normal debit and credit card. Because as you're coming on that journey, you're going to realize, why am I paying so much with a debit and credit card? It's so much cheaper if I just pay med tokens. Maybe I'm going to look at their explainer video one more time and understand how to do this myself. Likewise, with public keys, there'll be some people that will say, well, why, why would they hold that? That goes against everything of what we're trying to do. Yes, I understand what you're saying because you're very confident in that. There'll be other people that aren't. So we give people an option. And in time, as they grow with more confidence, then we can pass that responsibility back onto them as well. Yeah, I agree with you. If you think about the status quo, the centralized companies already have your data now so having you as a custodian or having medical chain as a custodian as an option is a pretty good idea because then at least there's not too much of a shift of behavior or too much of a shift of uh, expectations and how you can control or operate with your data yeah of course of course i mean we're not doing it doesn't sound right we're not doing anything worse than anybody else but for <laughs> us to get better we have to adapt some of the old ways for now in order to onboard more people and then we can move the whole conversation forwards. And, and even when we talk about private keys or public keys, and as you say, the 16 passphrases, the speed that this technology is developing at, there might be better solutions to this in the near future. So we always have to be quite fluid and adaptive to what's out there. And I think you have to try to take on as many people on board with you as you go forwards. I find your bracelet very interesting, actually. The idea of having a hardware wallet, mm -hmm. uh, I think, will be more palpable for people to understand it's just something that they can you know if you, ha you everyone has a bank key so if they go into a bank vault they already have their safety box and their key and they store it somewhere people are comfortable doing that for whatever reason and i think that it's possible that private keys will the future of private keys will be hardware driven and it'll be interesting to see how the healthcare industry will adopt uh, of course and i think you know that's the 
whole purpose of the pilot is I have all of these ideas from my perspective as a clinician or looking at certain family members I've got that, that are, are patients with chronic health issues and I'm trying to do something which I think would suit most people. As we go forward with this pilot and getting people's feedback and suggestions back, as you say, some people might say, I don't like this or I do like this or could you do this? And we want to keep adopting that system until we have the right recipe of, of taking this idea forwards. Regardless of medical chain, I see this is the future of healthcare. You know, we are going to have access to our own records. When we go to see the doctor, the doctor is going to open up like a Google Chrome, log into their system, and then they can access our health records because we gave them permission there and then to see our health records. No longer will it be a application which is downloaded onto a, a, a system, a laptop. And if you don't have that application, I'm sorry, you can't access those records. Mm. And, you know, we'll be talking about, do you remember the old days where it was madness where, you know, my records depended on whether that doctor had access to them or not, or whether those blood tests or those uh, imaging reports were in their system or not. You know, that, that was the old way of doing things. The way that we do things now is you, you have access to everything and you can share your data with whoever you like. That's right. Uh, my other question I had regarding hardware, actually. Do you think that eventually will be microchipped? As individuals, as people? Because you talk about a bracelet, an NFC, and bracelets can fall off. I don't know if it requires any battery or charge, but thinking long term, what's your opinion on that? And I I, think... again, like we, these are things that we both don't know. It's just kind of fun to... Yeah, just to have a debate about Speculate, it. Speculate, yeah. The, I think the limiting factor is trust, is what it comes down to. So I think I can say that medically, there's nothing uh, uh, wrong with doing it. I don't think it's going to put you in harm if you do it, if you put this foreign object, this foreign body under your skin. I think it's very feasible, it's very doable. The limiting factor here is, do you trust what you put in your body? Is this going to be a tracker or a chip? And the issue I think it is, is, is with it is people will draw parallels to animals, how people chip their cats or chip their dogs. And they're going to think, am I just being chipped now as well? I think that's the limiting factor in this discussion. And maybe, you know, maybe blockchain or a solution similar to blockchain where you can say that, look, this is distributed. No one person controls this. Nobody can hack into this at the moment, for example. This is a trusted way of doing things. People would come around to it. I think it's difficult to think. I mean, me personally, I, I don't think I would do it because I'm more than happy to walk around carrying this. You know, I, I don't I don't sit there and think, oh, this is so heavy. I hate this in my pocket. I wish there was another way. Right. Um, so again, we go back to the pain point of why would you chip somebody? What's what's the issue? You've woken up first thing in the morning and thought, is there a better way? I don't yeah. know what's what's your what's your views on it. What do you think? No, I think I agree with you. Trust is the key fundamental problem that uh, we haven't solved yet, and I think blockchain is approaching there. I think they were trying to get there with blockchain, but again, you can trust something today or next year. But you know, if you're microchipping yourself in 10 years are you still going to be able to still trust that same network or foreign object in your body and you know as long as you can remove it i guess it's okay but you know can i just remove it myself or will, will i need some sort of surgery to have it removed i mean if you want to talk about something which we already do today and we already put a foreign body under the skin is um implants so implants i'm sure you have it in the u.s as well but it's a form of contraception 
So when women are trying to avoid getting pregnant, they can either take a pill, they can either have a coinal, which is inserted vaginally, or they have something called an implant. And the implant sits just underneath the skin, just around their bicep. And this normally lasts for about three years, and it leaves a very tiny, tiny scar. But the idea is somebody can go in there, take the implant out, and put another implant in. So, you know, what I'm saying is people are already happy to do it, and people have already been doing this. You know, many women in my clinic opt for an implant, and we, and we, we facilitate that for them. So it can be done, but they trust what we're putting in their body, and they know that it's going to come out in a few years. And I think if you can get around that, then that's one way. But then the other way is, why do I need to have that implant? The women in the example I'm giving is because it stops them getting pregnant and it avoids them having to take tablets every day and they don't want something else somewhere else in their body. So that's why they opt for it. Why would you want an implant under your skin so that you could, I don't know, pay for a meal or have your health data accessed? I'm not so sure there's a need for it at, the, at this moment in time. Hmm. Interesting. I'd like to talk about myclinic.com. It's a part of your company i read it in the news and i think it's fascinating uh with the partnership you're doing with um with that can you talk a little bit about it yeah so my essentially medical chain is the company and medical chain will establish different services or branches coming off of that and that's why we have like a a brand and we want all the logos to look the same and the fonts to be the same so the first product medical chain has made is myclinic.com MyClinic.com is the telemedicine service. So this is where you're going to have a account, you have your health passport, and you can do telemedicine, like a video call consultations with different doctors around the world. That's, that's where we're trying to get to. The other product that's going to come off in time is going to be the health data marketplace, because that's going to be the, the marketplace where you're able to put your records out there for, for, for people wanting to access it. So you would say you, you're not putting your data there. You're just letting people know that you're happy to be approached to have your data accessed in a way for, for funds. And then there'll be other branches coming off because people can build on the medical chain platform. Uh, we're already in talks about doing something in the, the genome world or genomics as well. So that's that's why we're starting with our products. And the first one is myclinic.com. Yeah, I can imagine genetic consultations could be a really good option really for mm. telemedicine because it's quite simple. You don't necessarily have to see the patient's body. Uh, you can have a conversation. Also post-surgery consult, you know, discussions, consultations could also be very useful. And there's many other applications, urgent care. What practices are currently going to be your first? So the, the first will be the Groves Medical Practice. So this is in, in the UK, we call this a GP, a general practitioner or, or a family doctor, essentially. Um, we are the first line of healthcare for a patient to access healthcare in the country. You have to go through your GP or you have to go through accident emergency or, or the ER. There's no other way of getting to the rest of the secondary or tertiary services if you don't come through these two gatekeepers. So when people come to the general practitioner, the general practitioner's job is to obviously find out what's wrong and to treat that. But before you even get there, a lot of patients will know there's not that much wrong with them. You know, these are the kind of doctors which are dealing with coughs, colds, and rashes. Patients aren't stupid. They know that it's just a cough or a cold or a rash, but they just want two minutes of the doctor's time to say, what should I do about it? My four-year-old has this kind of rash. Is this meningitis? And the whole point of myclinic.com or these kind of telehealth services is to prioritize or triage which patients need to be see, seen now, today. So, for example, I see a patient, I go, 
that's a really nasty looking rash. He looks really unwell. You need to take him straight to hospital. And the patients benefited from a quick two minute conversation with me and I've directed them the right way to a, okay, I can see what your problem is there. You've got some back pain. I can prescribe for you online these painkillers, but I want you to see your own physical doctor again in a month. It should have resolved in a month. If it hasn't resolved in a month, maybe you could ask your doctor to do X, Y, or Z kind of blood scan or blood test. So the idea that this is a facility for anybody to use to establish what their health problem is, the urgency of their health problem, and whether they could solve this themselves. Because a lot of the patients I see, I don't actually prescribe anything. And a lot of the patients I see, I don't actually refer them onto secondary care services or into the hospital. A lot of it is, don't do this. Here's a, here's a sick note or a fit note. Here's a patient information leaflet. And most things patients can deal with themselves. This is not a service. You know, myclinic.com is not a service for somebody to come online and say, I think I have lung cancer. I've been losing weight. I'm coughing up blood. Uh, my chest really hurts. Well, I can't do anything for you over this. So, mm-hmm. so why are you telling me this? That makes a lot of sense. My next question is, what are some of the variables? As, as you guys are talking to multiple companies, I'm sure people are approaching you potentially with some sort of agreements they want to have or new projects they want to build with you guys. What are some of the variables that you guys look at when you're making decisions around who to work with as a partner in the healthcare space? So some of them can be as simple as infrastructure. So we've had a lot of great uh, people come from countries in Africa, such as from Nigeria or Ghana, and they say, we really need this in our country. The doctors are very far and few in between, and the access to a doctor is maybe 20 or 30 miles away, the local doctor. And if we had this telehealth kind of service, then we would know whether it's worth driving all that way or whether it's not worth driving all that way. The infrastructure comes down to, well, do you have reliable electricity? Do you have a re- reliable internet source? If you do, sure. If you don't, well, then the system is not going to work in your in your particular village, in your particular country. So that's one of the ways we establish whether we can uh, further a conversation is whether they have the actual infrastructure or not. The second is going to be the level of uh, regulation or legislation. We are pro-legislation, we're pro-regulation, you know, especially in ICOs and blockchain. It could do with a lot more than it has at the moment. And there's so many cowboys out there, as, as you'll, you'll know. But we don't want a system which is going to tell us you've got two years of paperwork to fill out and that we might we might use your system. Well, we're a startup. We're going to burn through cash and I'm going to waste the, the talent which I have working for me, sending them on, on a mission which is never going to work and then them to turn around and tell me, sorry, it's not worked. So we were trying to work with those kind of countries or those kind of established clinics where they are confident and, and they can say, yes, you can start here tomorrow. And that's the ones in the Far East, for example, where they don't have that level of bureaucracy or regulation. And then you come on to the last one, which I suppose is a kind of in-between house, is if you talk about the, the Middle East or the Arab Emirates, for example. So the, the Middle East have really been pro-medical chain. They really want medical chain, and they wish we would we'd go there and set up, and they, you know, they'd throw money at this to make this work. The issue with them is they have certain rules where, for example, they control the WhatsApp in the country or they control the emails or the telephone lines. And when we speak about our system to them, they say, sure, we're happy to have it and all the nodes will be controlled by the country. Hmm. And we say, that's not the purpose of it. You know, if we have 10 nodes in the Emirates 
and all the nodes are controlled by the Ministry of Health and the Emirates, it's defeated the whole purpose of the added level of security or layer of security that we're trying to do. So some of it is trying to negotiate that kind of understanding with somebody and try to explain to them the benefits of not holding everything. Some of it is trying to tell them that we'll be there for you once you've established the infrastructure. We're not an NGO. We're not a charity. We can't you know, build electrical lines for you and everything else. But when you're ready, we're ready. And then the other ones are, well, as your you know, regulations or legislation is improving, we'll be there for you as well. And that's why we were involved in the European Commission. Uh, we helped to draft uh, a, a resolution which went before the European Parliament and it actually passed. And the resolution was about trying to support blockchain companies because a lot of the rules or reg- legislations do not factor in blockchain. And it's not a simple case of a f- changing a few words here or there to incorporate this completely new technology in its own legislation. And you know that's something we're quite proud of that we were involved in uh, in Europe. Very nice. Very interesting as well. It's always tough to get over those regulatory hurdles, especially in healthcare where there is a lot of stakeholders and you have a lot of people protecting their own existing operations. My next question, uh, what is your biggest challenge personally? And also, what is the biggest challenge for medical chain? My biggest challenge personally is trying to do all the things I love at once. So I love being a doctor. I never want to be, I never stop wanting, wanting to be a doctor and I'll always be a doctor, uh, which can really frustrate my uh, co-founder, for example, because he'll want me here, there or everywhere. And I'll just tell him, I'm sorry, I've got, I've got my patients and my patients are number one. So my biggest challenge is, is trying to balance growing this company with the responsibility I have towards my patients as well. The biggest challenge for medical chain, I think like most startups, is going to be scalability. So, you know, we know we're fantastic, but how are we going to scale up that idea? How are we going to get the users on board? How are we going to do this? I mean, we've got certain ways and we're trying to take a bottom-up approach. So offering our services for free to the users directly so that we can, you know, get this kind of mass adoption, uh, which in time will filter to the higher level decision makers that will say, actually, look, so many of our uh, population are using this. We should probably just support this kind of technology. If I give you an example, like Uber. So when Uber came on the scene, Uber was offering discounts for people to take their rides. If you refer on, you get a discount, blah, blah, blah. Uber didn't invent taxis. Uber didn't invent passengers. All Uber did was put the two together and make it more simple for, for each one to connect with each other. And it's the same thing with medical chain. You know, we didn't invent doctors, we didn't invent medicine or patients or medical records, but we're empowering patients to have access to those medical records, to have better consultations with doctors. And likewise, doctors are going to benefit from these consultations and tell all their other friendly doctors and say, look, this is really helpful. It's better than the other telehealth systems I use where I was talking to a complete stranger asking me for drugs that I felt quite uncomfortable prescribing. Whereas using medical chain, I could see that the the patient's medical records, I could see their drug history, and I'm confident that it's not been tampered with because it's on the blockchain. And therefore, I felt much more confident in giving them that prescription. Uh, And that's the way I see us going forward in trying to resolve that scalability issue. What advice would you give to a newcomer coming into blockchain or in health care and trying to make changes, work on a company or a specific idea that they have? What advice would you give? Uh, you have to you have to reach out. Um, you have to communicate with those who are ahead of you. Um, so when we're talking about blockchain, for example, 
I don't really, I mean, I used it earlier in this interview, but I don't really like the idea of a, a blockchain expert. I, I see this as kind of like a book and I may be on page 10, you may be on page 30, but nobody's got to the end of this book yet because it's still developing and it's, it's moving so fast. It hasn't been written, right? It hasn't been written yet. It's, you know, we're, we're writing the pages as we go forwards. So these guys that might be new into the blockchain world, you know, kind of reach out to those guys who are slightly ahead of you. Um, I certainly, you know, if, if you if you could see my LinkedIn messages similar to how, how you got in touch with me, I reply to everybody's LinkedIn messages. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. When I uh, got that quick reply, I really appreciate that. So thanks for it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a policy of mine because I have benefited from a lot of things in my life because somebody has taken the time to reply to me, even to say no, because they said no so quickly, it gave me the opportunity to move forward and think of something else, which has opened another door for me. So, you know, I get I get messages from like 14 year olds in Calcutta, India, asking me for support with their project. From my perspective, it's a no. But I make sure I reply to every person's message. And, and there will be some people in the blockchain healthcare industry trying to come forward. You know, just get in touch. People such as myself, other people were very approachable. Uh, I, I'd like to think we're very helpful because, you know, we didn't get here on our own. We got here because other people helped us out as well. And I think that's the only way to um, deliver this kind of success is if we help other people come forward because somebody might come forward with an idea much better or greater than mine. And I'd be very proud if I felt I, I put that person on that journey. How can people connect with you, the company, learn more? Yeah, so we've got our website, medicalchain.com. Uh, Obviously, you can go on there. You can see all the latest um, information about our website and what publications have been done about us by, by NASDAQ or, whoever, or Forbes or whoever else it might be at the time. Uh, if you want to get closer to the company, then I would suggest joining the Telegram group. So we've got over 27,000 uh, users on the Telegram group. You can look at our Reddit posts. You can read our Medium posts. You can join our mailing list where we, we publish an issue every month of what's been going on with the company and what progress we've made. And of course, you know, if, if you think it's appropriate and you would like to get in touch with me, I'm always contactable. Um, if it's something which isn't deemed fully appropriate from my side, then I'll just pass you on to, to one of my team members who should be able to help you with, with your query. Thank you very much, Dr. Abdullah Al-Bayati. I really appreciate your time. And I think our listeners really enjoy listening to the insights that you have with the work that you're doing with Medical Chain in the in, all over the world, globally, really. Uh, thank that, you again. That, I appreciate that's it. That's a pleasure, Ray. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks a lot. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.